Well, we have been in this series called Who is God, which have you been loving? I've been actually loving. And uh, I think if you're anyone like me, you know, we're in an interesting time right now we find ourselves in. It's an interesting day that we find ourselves in. It's an interesting hour that we are finding ourselves in. And I believe that many, even maybe you today, maybe many in this community are asking, is there a God, right? Do I need God? Or maybe even better, like, God, where are you right now, right? I mean, can we just chat about 2020 for a minute? Cray, cray, right? I mean, what has happened to 2020? We started off this year with a vision series. Do you remember that? We started off with clarity. And I'm like, what happened, Lord? Did we totally miss it? The world has gone a little mad. And I would imagine some of you are here today because you're searching, right? We're searching, we're questioning. We need God's peace, we need a shalom. We need God more than ever. Can I get an amen to that? Yes. So today as we continue in this series called Who is God, I wanna zone in on an important character trait of, of who God is, but it's really so much more than just a quality. It's actually what God embodies and that is the holiness of God. Holiness isn't complicated. To be holy simply means to be set apart. It means to be different then. But God is unlike any other. And his holiness is the very essence of that otherness, if that makes sense. Meaning God is not like any of us in this room. God is not like any problem you've ever had. He is holy. He is distinct. His very being is absent of even a trace of sin. He is high above any other. No one, nothing can compare to him. God's holiness pervades his entire being and it actually shapes every bit of all of his attributes. His love is a holy love. His mercy is a holy mercy, meaning it's set apart, it's different than, it's untouchable. And even his anger and his wrath is a holy anger and a holy wrath. God is holy. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to join us. You can do it on your phone. If not, I believe there's going to be scripture on the screen. We're going to camp in a scripture that probably many of you know, and it's taken out of Second, First uh, Peter, chapter two, verse nine, and it says this: "But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light." Now, I don't know if you believe it or not. But God says you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. I want to camp on a particular word here for a minute, and that is the word priest. Do you know that God says you're a priest or a priestess? Now, that word is, is a problem for a lot of us, right? Because let's be honest, who thinks of themselves as a priest? Do you think yourself as a priest? When you came in here this morning, do you think yourself as a priest or a priestess? I mean, if we're honest, we would say we probably don't qualify, right? That's somebody else, particularly because we know ourselves, right? We know our humanity. We know our brokenness. We know our faults, right? I mean, do we not? Do you know your insecurities? We know who we are, and occasionally, right, we sin, right? I mean, did anyone else say something this week that you were like, no, 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 let me take that back? I did a few times. Occasionally, we don't actually do the right thing according to God's word. And so often, the thoughts can come in, I don't measure up. 
And the truth is, we will never measure up. We will never measure up. But this is the good news. It is by grace, not by his measuring, not by your being measured up. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And that grace is what gives us full access to God. I believe that many of us don't actually have an issue with our priesthood. We have an issue with our identity. That's our problem. So when I say, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into that wonderful light. When I say that, that means that you actually have to understand that you are a priest or a priestess. It means to understand that you are chosen. And if you don't feel that you are chosen, you don't feel that you are royal. And if you don't feel royal, you don't feel like you're in the priesthood. And if you don't feel like you're in the priesthood, well, then you certainly don't feel holy. Have you ever been in that situation where instead of feeling chosen, you felt rejected? Now, I don't know if any of you are like me, but I remember in elementary school, the, the whole dodgeball game, right? You know that game? When everyone gets lined up against the wall and you're like, please let me be the number one pick. Please let me be the number one draft. And there's only one, obviously, and you know who's getting it, right? And so often we find ourselves, we're number three, we're number five, we're number 12, but we want to be chosen. But so quickly, instead of being chosen, we feel rejected. So when we talk about identity, if we don't believe that you are chosen, if I don't believe that I am chosen, I already feel rejected. But my Bible says, you are a chosen generation church. Now, like many of you, I have friends who have adopted children. And you know, as these parents who've adopted these children, which is what a gift, they actually chose those children. And just like that, God chose you. You are a chosen child. God wanted you. You are not an accident. But so many of us, if we are honest, let's have a transparent, can we be honest with ourselves this morning? So many of us, we don't actually believe it. And because we don't believe it, we don't behave like it. And because we don't behave like it, we not only have a misplaced identity, but we have misplaced our influence. And if there's anything that this world does not need right now is a Christian trying to figure out who they are. Can we be honest with ourselves? My concern is we get so comfortable in our misplaced identity as Christians, as believers. We get so comfortable with things just as they are that we forget that we were actually here to be countercultural and not be okay with the status quo so that, so that we can actually lead a lost and broken world to the only person who can save him, and that is Jesus Christ. When you gave your life to Jesus, a transaction was made. And in that purchase, in that exchange, through what Jesus did on the cross, not only was your sin redeemed, but you were actually called into a royal family. You know that? In an instant, it's as if you were a peasant and you were made into a prince. Yet so many of us are still behaving like we're rejected. Think about the royal family for a minute. Remember Princess Diana. She was, I think, a school teacher. 
before she was married in. But when she was married in and adopted into that kingdom, she immediately was given every bit of access to what the royal family had. In an instant, in an instant, her inheritance in an instant was changed. Her title in an instant was changed. She was now of royalty. She was given authority that she didn't have otherwise. Literally, in an instant. And when you and I were adopted, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, when you were adopted in as sons and daughters, in an instant, God says, what I have is yours. Why aren't you taking it? My inheritance is actually yours. Your eternal destination is with me. You actually have the keys to my kingdom. Or we can think of Harry and Meghan, who literally... Just by now, if you don't know who Mary and Megan is, it doesn't really matter because they just left by choice to leave the royal family. They reached back to their decision to completely leave their identity. They gave up their royal title and therefore gave up all the access they had to the kingdom. My concern is that a lot of Christians are turning their back on their royalty and becoming comfortable with a mediocre inheritance that is not theirs to take rather than leaning into their chosen kingdom right as heirs to the kingdom of God. Don't trade. Listen to me, church, this morning. If you hear anything, do not trade your divine privileges. Do not trade in the promises of God that belong to you because you have misplaced your identity. Don't trade your divine privileges for temporary pleasures. My Bible says you are chosen, you are royal, and then it says you are a holy people. We are a holy people. But again, we have a problem with that, don't we? Because we know ourselves. We know when we slip up. We, we know when we cuss. We know when we make that mistake again. Listen. It doesn't also help that we have an enemy that will try to remind you every single day of the mistakes that you have made. But listen here, the devil, the enemy, doesn't care what you did yesterday. He already moved on. He's starting fresh with you this morning. So you better start fresh with yourself as well. You better every day remind yourself who you are in Christ, that you are a new creation, that you are the salt of the earth, that you are an agent of change. I love what it says in 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. It says, But just as he has called you as holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And in other words, when God looks at you, he sees his holiness. When God sees Nathan Day, he sees his holiness. He never said to be perfect. The Lord never told you to walk in perfection. He told you to be set apart. He told you to live different. He told you to smell different. He told you to look and act and perceive differently. Holiness is actually your nature. I want, if you can, to turn with me to Mark chapter 7. Now, before we read this, it's important to understand who actually Jesus was talking to. And in this, in this section of scripture, we find Jesus who's talking to a crowd and Jesus is engaged by a group who are actually wanting to, um, who are teachers themselves. Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, people that believed in God, religious folks. And if I were to be dare honest, they probably looked and acted much 
like you and I look and act today. And it says in beginning in verse 7, it says the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who'd come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Can you imagine Jesus talking like that? Like, Isaiah was right, you hypocrites. I mean, seriously, let's like read it in his context. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human, human traditions. Skipping to verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. So listen, you have to understand this. Here, it was one thing for the Pharisees to be gathered and for the Pharisees to be questioning Jesus. But here you have his 12 closest guys, his 12 closest guys that have been walking with Jesus. And they're saying, what on earth are you talking about? Like, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. And this is what he says back to his 12 closest guys who probably at this point should have understood what was going on. In verse eight, it says, are you so dull? Can you imagine his 12 dudes hanging out every day, fellowshipping with him, eating bread, breaking, walking? Are you so dull? Are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, then out the body. And he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, every slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So here you have Jesus, and he's talking to this group of religious people who are trying to do the right thing by washing their hands. They're trying to do the right thing by what the tradition and the law says. And his followers are asking the same question, yet basically what is going on, Jesus say, hold up. Be cautious, you guys. You think you're actually going to do the right thing by keeping your hands clean. You're not thinking counterculturally right now. Essentially, what he's saying is it's not what is happening on the outside, it's what's actually happening on the inside in your heart that is going to mess you up. The transformation of Christ that wants, he wants to bring to your life is not an outside-in transformation, but rather an inside-out revolution that will cause you to not only look different, but to be, think, and act differently. It will cause you to be set apart and be holy. But listen to me, church. If we're not careful, we will fall under the illusion that our Christian experience is defined by what we do on the outside. Let me put it this way. You might say, I don't, I don't smoke anymore. Good. I don't drink anymore. Good. I'm no longer a drunk. I don't do this. I don't wear that. I don't listen to that. I don't go there anymore. I listen to Chris Tomlin and K-Love now. Right? Is that list bad? No. Right? But if we're not careful, we will define our Christianity by external behavior modification. 
Let me put it this way. Being a Christian is not a behavior modification program. It is allowing the Holy Spirit to come in, to work inside of us, to transform us, to change us, to cause us to look different, to act different, to respond differently, so that when we go out into a lost and dying world, we are actually going in as royalty. Chosen, a holy nation, set apart. But here's the thing. You have to make a choice. And you have to give permission. I have to give permission to the Holy Spirit to get into that area of my life, to have access to that area in my heart that needs healing. How do I know this? Because you can act like a Christian but still have unforgiveness. You can be a Christian but still operate in fear. You can be a Christian and still have resentment. I've seen many be a Christian and still be a jerk. Right? You mean I actually have to give access to the Holy Spirit? I have to give access to God? Yep. I have to choose to let go of bitterness. I have to choose to let my eternal response be that of change. I have to choose to not wear guilt and shame. I have to choose to walk in faith. I have to choose to read his word and allow his word to penetrate my soul. You have to choose to live a life that is set apart and holy. Charles Spurgeon said, if he gives you the grace to make you believe, he will give you the grace to live a holy life afterward. Listen to me. Holiness is not hard. Holiness is your identity. Holiness is not hard. You know what's hard? It's not thinking of yourself as unholy. You know what's hard? It's to change your mind about who you are. But God says, be holy because I am holy. I love this story of Princess Margaret back in the 30s and the 40s. Here she was. She was the daughter of the, the current queen, uh, the, the Queen Elizabeth. And she's the sister of the present Queen Elizabeth now. Princess Margaret at this time, she was a little girl. Can you imagine? She was a little girl sitting on a platform with her mom. And at this moment, she's actually about to go and address the crowd. She's about to go and address the nation. But History says and records before she actually, before that gentleman came in and gave her that mic, history records this. And that is of her mother whispering these words to her. And she said, Margaret, you're a princess. Walk like a princess. Talk like a princess. And then she got up and addressed the crowd. I pray that you feel the Lord to say, the Lord say to you today, Cliff, you're a priest. Walk like a priest. Talk like a priest. Cindy, you're a priestess. Walk like a priest. Talk like a priestess. See, that changes everything because your identity has changed. Holiness is recognizing the identity that you have and then throwing your shoulders back and saying, uh-uh, I'm a child of God. I am covered by the blood of Jesus. I walk in authority. I walk in power. I walk in strength. I walk in faith. I walk with courage. I resist the devil. I resist temptation. I overcome it like it was COVID-19. You are a royalty a chosen generation, a holy nation. So how do we walk as a royal priest or priestess, especially in the craziness of the world that we have found ourselves in, 
which is gone, may I, but how do we live set apart? Like, how do we actually feel like we can go out and actually make a difference? How can we feel like when we walk into a room that people will recognize there's something different about us? Well, first of all, first of all, you're going to have to separate yourself from your flesh. Now, this is the deal. So many of us think of that ourselves, our flesh is us. It's not. The flesh is eventually going to die, right? The flesh is going away. That's not you. The real you is your spirit. The part of you that's been redeemed. The part of you that is forgiven. The part of you that is a new creation in Christ. In 2 Peter 2.11, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. You need to realize that the flesh is always going to pull you. And that word abstain is a Greek word that actually means to pull you away from something, something that's going to pull you. So I grew up in New York. If you didn't hear, my New York accent still comes out from time to time. And upstate New York, I actually grew up on Long Island, but in upstate New York, there's this crazy waterfall you might have heard about. It's called Niagara Falls. It's insane. It's three million gallons, gallons of water rushing over it in a second. Can you imagine three million gallons of water rushing over it in a second? But if you back up on the Hudson River, three and a half miles away, you will see a sign that says danger zone. And what it means is that at this point and, and beyond, if you don't actually have a boat that has a motor in it, from this point on, you are not going to make it. Then, so remember, three and a half miles away is a sign that says danger zone. Another mile, you come into another sign that says the point of no return, which means there is no engine that is going to be able to pull you from the falls at that point, and you're going to cross over those falls and ultimately probably die. Now, a lot of us, if we're honest, right, we're going to be honest with ourselves this morning, we live in the safe zone from temptation. We do. But we go into that danger zone thinking, but I got a motor. I got my boat. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm safe. And therefore, I know the limits that I can push. Because I'm in, the, I'm, in the, I'm in the zone that I still have that engine running. But you know, if we keep playing in that danger zone, that motor might burn out one day. And it might not give you any warning that it's going to burn up. And there's no stopping you from that point from then going over. So when he says, when God says abstain, it doesn't mean to just stop. It says, don't allow your flesh to pull you. Don't allow the flesh to pull you into a relationship that is not godly. Don't allow the flesh to pull you into a job that you know you shouldn't take. Don't allow the flesh to pull you into believing a lie because the flesh in our enemy is actually wanting you to believe those lies. Secondly, you need to separate from your failures. None of us are going to be perfect, you guys. We are not perfect. I am not perfect. Your pastors are not going to be perfect. You are going to make mistakes. But that does not disqualify you from being in the royal priesthood. You can't let your imperfection limit your divine direction. We all have imperfections, but we're redeemed. Some of you today, and I really believe this is a word for someone today, you need to look at that failure straight in the eye and say, I might have missed it, but I am forgiven. 
and I am not disqualified. You are not disqualified. God wants you on his team. God has selected you. You were born into a royal family. You have the same privileges and access to heavenly weapons. And this is why all of this, honestly, is so important. Your holiness, your identity is not just about you. I don't know if you needed the reminder, but our world is broken. Our world is hurting. Our world is desperately crying out. I mean, you can hear the groans of the earth right now crying out for a savior that they don't know they need. There's this account in John chapter 17 after the Last Supper where you find Jesus praying. And it's the longest recorded prayer that we have of Jesus. And it's right before the crucifixion. So can you imagine as, I, as you find yourself in this prayer where it picks up in, in um, John 17, 14, Jesus is saying, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world anymore than I am of the world. Now, this next verse is where I think some of us have missed it because look what Jesus says. Remember, he's about to go to the cross. He knows what's ahead of them and he knows what's ahead of for us. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them. I have sent you. I have sent you into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that I too may be truly sanctified. So here you have Jesus who's praying to the Father before he's going to the cross. And he's telling Father God what he is not praying. Jesus is saying, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, even knowing what was ahead. I do not pray that you create this artificial subculture and remove them, remove them from the chaos of the world. I do not pray that you remove them from this broken place that I know that we'll be facing. I do not pray that you remove them from a monumental crisis. I do not pray that you remove them from a pandemic, from a disease, from human trafficking, from injustice, from racism, to vision, to division. I also do not pray that you take them out of that. But I also do not pray that you do a heart transformation and then just keep them in their nice, neat relationships within the four walls of what we call the church where it feels safe. I don't pray that either. But what I do pray, what I do pray is that as you send me, Father God, I am gonna send them into a world. So protect them and sanctify them by your word. He's saying, I'm not asking you to take them out because the church has always been the church, not the four walls. These four walls one day are going away. The church is you and I, has always been designed from the very genesis of time to help reroute people, those who are lost into their God-given destiny. But it's very hard to change a world that you're not in. And it's even harder to change a world that you are the same substance as. God isn't looking for a comfortable church. He's looking for a holy bride who will go the distance. 
He's looking for us to be set apart. We are plan A. There is no other plan. I don't know if you realize that, but there's no other plan. God said on the Great Commission, go into all the world, go into all the world, go where it doesn't feel comfortable, go in that cubicle next door, go into all the world and be Jesus to them because they are lost and they are broken and they are hurting. So you better look set apart. You better smell different when you come into that room. Please change that atmosphere. I don't believe, honestly, I don't believe that God is trumped up in all the stuff that we're doing. I don't think He's concerned about our imperfections. I think He's concerned about our disobedience. Our disobedience and saying, God, your word says I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a chosen generation, but I haven't really been obeying that word. In fact, I don't even believe it. I think that is what breaks the Father. He's saying, no, you you don't understand. I've given you full access to the kingdom. I've given you full access to the kingdom. Why aren't you pulling on the promises that I've given you in this word? These promises are yes and amen. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and active in you. Why aren't you drawing upon that well? Get off of media, get in your word. Listen to what my word says and be set apart for such a time as this. Maybe you're here today and you don't feel chosen. I've been there before many times and there's so many times where I wrestle through that. But I have to tell you, it is worth the fight to wrestle in and say, no, God, I'm gonna believe your word. And today, if you don't feel chosen, I have good news. Today is your day. Today is your day to put it back on the altar and say, God, I'm gonna identify with your word. What if today you've never given your life to Jesus? Like you really know, like you've never really surrendered your life. You might've said it in lip service, but you know you haven't surrendered all those areas to God. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. So as we close in just a few moments, if we can just have a time where we can set our hearts on the altar and set our hearts on the Lord, maybe today is your your day. So can we all pray this prayer together? Heavenly Father, I believe that I am chosen. I have been running from your call, but today I receive it. I am chosen and I receive my forgiveness. I receive my new nature. Come into my life, Jesus, and wash me in your blood. And I thank you, Father, that now I am forgiven. I am now holy. I am now a believer. I receive my past forgiven and my future with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Father God, I just lift up everyone here today, God, and I thank you, Lord. I thank you, God, that we that this is a divine moment, that this isn't just lip service, this isn't just a service, that this is a divine moment for us to recalibrate, reposture ourselves with you. So I thank you for every individual and their families that are represented here. I thank you, God, that they would know who they are in you, that they would walk out of today with their shoulders back, with their posture lifted heavenward, knowing who they are in Christ. I thank you, Father God, that you would remind them of their God-given identity and their God-given authority so that they can actually walk out of here and be the agents of change that you've called each 
and every one of us to you, God. We give you the glory. We give you the honor for your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.